The Michael Reed Show Podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie LMFM Podcasts. Brought to you with Carrickmac Cross Credit Union, where a student loan can help you finance your further education. Call to Carrickmac Cross Credit Union, O'Neill Street, or CarrickmacCrossCU.ie. Thursday morning, the 9th of May. Good morning, with much debate and discussion from now till 11 a.m. This is Michael Reid on LMFM. An 18.5 million euro capital investment for major STEM refurbishment in DKIT, Dundalk, is in question today. This is because of the government's decision to roll out the National Broadband Plan against the advice of the Department of Public Expenditure. Senior officials in the department strongly recommended against approval of the appointment of the preferred bidder, an elusive consortium led by American businessman David McCourt. A memo to government raises concerns over cost and affordability, impact on the National Development Plan, value for money with uncertain benefits, unprecedented risk for the Exchequer and compatibility with the spatial objectives of the Project Ireland 2040 plan. If you didn't take the risk on broadband, what could you do with €3 billion otherwise? The department spelled it out to the government as well as investing in DKI the money could be used to deliver over 2,000 social housing units as well as 18 primary schools schools and 9 to 10 primary health care centres and that's just to name some of the things on this list. Let's talk about this with Gavin Riley, political correspondent with Virgin Media News and political columnist with uh, the Mead Chronicle. Good morning to you Gavin and thanks for joining us. Uh, It is a a lot of money, 3 billion euro, uh, but I suppose you get what you pay for and if you think of the Children's Hospital for example, the government is going to invest 2 billion euro in that, Uh, but it has the asset at the end of it all, it has the hospital. After spending €3 billion Euro on broadband, what will it have? Well, well th- this is exactly the point, and I, and I was almost struck that when you just said there, you get what you pay for, that in this case, the state will pay for something, and technically speaking, it will get nothing. But what the state says, and far be it for me to try and, and repeat or just simply uh, parrot the spin of the government, but their position is that at the end of this whole process, that when you talk about 25 or 35 years down the line when this whole project is done and you do have a connection to every single home, which is at that point somewhere between 20 and 30 years old, that effectively the network will be obsolete. That yes, you'll have a fibre uh, optic uh, network that leads to every home in the country, but that 35 years from now, that technology will be pretty useless. So there is no point in spending more on a project that would end up with the state owning a network if at the end of the day, the network was effectively useless or obsolete or that it needed to be massively upgraded in some way. The government's proposition is that at the end of this whole process, it would cost more to upgrade the network than you would get from selling it. So they say that Mm. effectively it's an obsolete thing and that therefore what they're doing is the cheapest thing possible because if you were to invest in the whole network and still try to own it at the end of the day, that it would cost even more than €3 billion. Now, that that is their their proposition they're entitled to put Mm. it forward. But I think that the when you look at just the overall sum of €3 billion, and no matter how many times the government will say otherwise, this is a project where when it was first mooted, it was only supposed to cost a sixth of this much. It was only supposed to cost €500 million. The government will tell you that was a less ambitious plan and involved Mm. delivering broadband to every village, but not necessarily to every premises. But again, it just has the same look of the children's hospital about it, that Fine Gael are being very, you know, uh, coy or blasé or not at all hysterical or don't appear at all concerned 
about the fact that these projects are now costing very much more. And, and to go back to your, your original point, your opening observation there about uh, one of the investments in DKIT, we asked this to Pascal Donahue yesterday because a few hours after all of these memos came out, we approached him and we said, you know, they're just listing all these investments in Institutes of Technology in Dundalk and elsewhere, and there's all these roads mm. projects and all this other capital spending. And your civil servants are warning you that all of this now may have to go on the chopping block to pay for broadband. And Pascal Donahue says, yeah, I know that was their warning, but it won't. And we said, well, how are you going to pay for the extra cost of broadband that you hadn't anticipated and still meet all these other projects? And his answer was simply, well, we're just going to increase the communications budget for four years in the next decade, and that will sponge up everything we need to. Effectively, Fine Gael's proposition is, we're just going to mag- magic up some more money to mm. pay for everything. Now, Where, 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 where do they get it from, though? Well, this is exactly, yeah. either you end up having to borrow that extra money and you add to the deficit, which sort of mm. tends to undermine the whole aspect of, you know, prudence and fiscal responsibility that Fine Gael like us to think of, uh, or you end up just running a slightly lesser surplus, or you end up having to borrow it in some way or other. Or you delay something like Project 2040 and the investment due for Dundalk isn't delivered next year, maybe the year after, maybe the year after that, maybe never. Well, but this is ultimately what I'm getting to, mm. and that... People might remember a couple of months ago when we were talking about the children's hospital and there was this whole debate of, you know, was was the budget written under false pretenses because the government knew that the capital budget for health next year was going to have to be much bigger than the one they were bringing to the House. And they said, no, 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 sure. When you go back and look at Ireland 2040, the plan that was published in February of last year, that had basically 10 years of public spending written out and mapped out at that time. Mm. So that is our blueprint. Now Pascal Donoghue is telling us that in order to pay for all the other projects like DKIT and everything else, that he's simply going to make sure that they still have their money and he will just magic up some extra money to go into the communications budget to pay for broadband. That ultimately means that effectively everything that was in Ireland 2040 is now once again up for grabs because all the financial stuff that went into it is now, you know, the government admits that the finances that it laid out are not enough to deliver all of those projects. And so that effectively the whole project is not really worth the paper it's written on. I think that would be a big issue that when, when the dust begins to settle on this and the opposition parties are a little bit less focused on the... Uh, that the substance of the memos yesterday and trying to point out the concerns of senior civil servants, that when it comes to the heat of the real, when Fine Gael come knocking on the doorsteps for a general election, whenever that may be, they will point to Ireland 2040 and all of the projects contained in it effectively as their manifesto, as their master plan for how Ireland will develop. And the opposition parties will be entirely legitimate in saying that the finances behind that document are now not worth the paper they're written on because they can be effectively rewritten on a whim and the government will admit that it has to magic up new money to pay for all those projects. Well, we're getting two very different perspectives on this and when you talk about uh, the government's proposition, uh, which government are you talking about because we've uh, the elected politicians uh, who are in government and then we have what's called the permanent government the civil servants uh, and uh, obviously some of the civil servants have a a very different opinion to those who are making the political decisions Yeah, absolutely and when I talk about people going to to the doors I do mean the the political (laughs) government, the Fine Gael and and cohort in the independent benches who who are supporting them but of course, and this is ultimately the, the biggest striking thing about this, is that the government decided on its own whim to publish all of this advice given to it by its own civil servants who are saying that this is simply a project that they can't stand over. And it's worth bearing in mind why we have a Department of Public Expenditure and Reform in the first place. And, and part of it was because of the marriage of convenience in 2011 and Fine Gael and Labour both wanted to run the Department of Finance. So they simply did a, a King Solomon style thing of just mm. chopping the thing in two and letting each, each parent have half of it. But the, the, co- the whole ethos of the Department of Public Expenditure and Reform 
is the idea of reform, that it's supposed to be all about transparency and ensuring that the same breakneck growth and massive spending commitments that we got into 10 years ago aren't repeated, that we're a little bit more modest about these things, that everything goes through the ringer of cost-benefit analysis and whether these things can be entirely justified and whether Mm. the finite money that we have is being put to best use. So when the top civil servant at that department, who's been running the show ever since day one, a guy called Robert Watt, when he says that this is simply a project that when we go through all of the models that we just simply cannot stand over it, you would expect somebody of the general financial clout or the wherewithal or the intellect of Pascal Donoghue to say, well, actually, maybe we do need to think about these things. And the fact that he is openly admitting, and this is entirely his prerogative, that he's entitled to say, I am given advice and then I make the decision because I'm the minister and I'm elected to do it. And Mm. that's fine. But the whole point of the Department of Public Expenditure was to sound the alarm. And if we have decided to create an institutionalised watchdog which raises concern about all of these things, and then ministers simply decide, well, no, we're going to overlook that advice, they really have to have a very, very compelling case for why they're doing that. And in the press in the press conference on Tuesday when yep. this broadband plan was finally confirmed, and yesterday when Pascal Dunhu was speaking to us, I don't think they've done a very credible job yet of telling us exactly what the compelling case was for throwing the advice of their civil servants out the door. And take us over the timeline of this, if you would, Gavin. Not the timeline which spans over seven years uh, and uh, goes back nine years to it first being uh, announced, but we've got to a stage now where we're deciding to spend €3 billion over the next seven years before this is delivered to everybody, but the most recent timeline, uh, because as I understand it, this advice was given to the government over the weekend. Uh, On Tuesday, the government announced that it was awarding uh, the contract to to the McCourt Consortium and said it would publish that advice yesterday, I think at 8 o'clock yesterday morning, but it wasn't until 5 to 2, which is significant because the doll was on its Easter break and resumed its business at 2 o'clock yesterday. The political parties came back to work at two o'clock, leaders' questions at two o'clock. They were handed the documents and it's a big, big, uh, voluminous piece of advice, as Mary Lou MacDonald put it, that was given to the politicians five minutes before they were meant to ask questions about it. Michal Martin uh, accused uh, the government of sharp practice. He was probably right, was he? Yeah, uh, well, those those of of your listeners who who, uh, managed to to listen to the National Airwaves might have heard the National Broadcaster talking uh, at length yesterday morning about how, you know, these documents are imminent, we're going to be seeing them sometime this morning. They basically left gaps in the programmes where they could talk about the documents that they expected to have on their desks before the programme had finished. And it was going to be a 7 o'clock or an 8 o'clock or a 9 o'clock. There was at one point mention that these documents would actually be published on Tuesday night, but then they managed to wait until yesterday morning. We are told that there are two official explanations for why these documents took so long to come out. Firstly, because, as you said, there are, you know, there's, a, there's well over a 1,000 pages in this, and they had to redact some issues that the government considers to be commercially sensitive, because, you know, bearing in mind, the contract hasn't actually been signed yet, so there are some little kinks still to be worked out, and the government doesn't want those published before it actually gets the ink on, on the dotted line and that all of this is finally put to bed. But the second concern, and, and this is great irony when we're talking about a national broadband plan, we're told that simply because the files were too big that they were actually having trouble putting them on the department's website, and that ultimately, although they intended to have them out at 8am or 9am or 11am, that it took until about a quarter to two yesterday to actually get them up. But as you say, 
that immediately caused cause of shenanigans because you had TDs who expected to be well briefed in all these documents who expected to have six hours to read them before they went into leaders' questions where Richard Bruton himself, the communications minister, was going to be uh, taking charge because Leo Varadkar is abroad and then ultimately only getting about 10 minutes to look at these things. Ultimately, uh, the opposition leaders pulled rank and said we're simply not doing this. They mm-hmm. deferred leaders' questions until a quarter to four so that they gave themselves an hour and a half uh, to, to digest all of these things, which was a very wise thing to do because mm. in that hour and a half they were able to look at precisely how uh, from about six weeks ago the Department of Public Expenditure as I mentioned was raising serious concern about all of this and even though the Department of Communications was standing over its view of all of this and it says that there's more to life than money and the quality of life simply can't be calculated on, on the uh, back mm. of a napkin or in a spreadsheet somewhere uh, that ultimately the department as I said which is set up as the watchdog to do all of this was sending the alarm from, from weeks back and the government had simply said well you know this is a bullet that we're prepared to take and whether that is just because there's an election a fortnight around the corner or whether it is because they believe that there's a compelling case to be made uh, as I said I don't think we've heard a very compelling argument yet So uh, the government said to the opposition parties here's 10 million pages telling us why we shouldn't spend 3 billion euro hmm. any any questions? Uh, and the opposition said well we'd like a chance to read them uh, and they got an hour and a half to read them and they came back and they had a lot of questions but they didn't get all of uh, the questions answered did they? No no and, and this is this is precisely my point that I don't think they got a very compelling case. I mean, one of the questions was, you know, if we're putting in €3 billion, how much is this Granahan McCourt consortium, how much of their own money are they putting in? Uh, There was a suggestion a couple of weeks back when we thought that the sum would be lower than €3 There was a suggestion that those partners were only going to be putting in around €100 million each of their own money. There was something that wasn't redacted in yesterday's documents which suggested that they might be putting in one billion of their own money by comparison to three billion of ours. It seems that yesterday, only a few hours after Richard Bruton declined to give the figure publicly, that a spokesman said now then told the Irish Times this morning that this private consortium is putting in two billion euro of our own money. Uh, interesting back note on that, when there was um, all of the, the rumours were going around on Tuesday morning about exactly what the cabinet was briefing, some senior officials in the department were saying the Granahan McCourt were putting in over three billion because the whole point of the state being able to do this and under state aid rules and, and, and all of that is that you can't bankroll more than 50% of the project. So if the state was putting in $3 billion, then the private part of this whole consortium would have to be putting in more than $3 billion. So the fact that we, we now have you know, one figure in the documents, another figure from a spokesman, and officials privately bandying out a third one, uh, and an official figure that was given a few weeks ago, which now appears to be totally out of the water, we still are no clearer as to how much of their own money Granahan McCourt are putting in which is quite important mm. given, as, they, as we started out by saying, that they're actually going to be the people who own the network, obsolete as it may be, uh, at the end of the day. And do we know who the people are who make up the people that will own the network? Who's in this consortium? Uh, it's predominantly uh, Granahan McCord, which is this, this American uh, venture capital fund. It's run by this Irish-American man called uh, David McCord. <coughs> He's quite uh, colourful on Twitter. It's almost... Uh, somewhere between Donald Trump and Peter Casey in the way that he, he does videos where he says he's going to be going to a golf school and maybe they'll learn something from him and he'll learn something from them. He's, he's quite a colourful but yeah. ultimately in terms of business a very reclusive character. Um, he is the main man bankrolling it. We do know that there are other parts of this consortium are people who are going to be subcontractors including uh, Nokia who are going to be providing a lot of the technology that runs a lot of this um, including Octavo which people might remember is the new name of what was previously known as SiteServe company quite 
controversially taken over by uh, Dennis O'Brien and Associates, which re- resulted in a quite a large uh, debt write-off. That is now the subject of a commission of investigation, but nonetheless, the company still trades. They're going to be part of it. Um, but but So we know the identities of some of those people, mm. but the thing that we really don't know is how much they're putting up, and that's the important thing, because if we're going to be putting up so much of this, you kind of need to be assured that the private people are also going to be putting up a decent amount of their own money, or else it really does look like that they've been able to fleece the state by putting up very little of their own money, getting the taxpayer to write what some people would argue is a blank cheque, and then ultimately still getting to own all of the goods for which they're paying only only a slight fraction of the cost for. All right, and we're a couple of weeks out for um, an election. It's an important point, one uh, that uh, hasn't been missed by the opposition politicians. Uh, This quite possibly was uh, uh, an election announcement, but has the government actually shot itself in the foot? There's one theory, uh, albeit maybe a bit of a conspiracy theory, but there is one theory that because the government has at the same time decided to make this decision but published all of the reasons why it shouldn't, that it may allow itself to maybe review this decision and put it on hold so that when it goes to the local elections, it can give the vocal commitment of having agreed to provide broadband to every premises in the country, but not actually have signed the checks or signed the contracts or done anything to actually give effect to it. So maybe it's the best of both worlds. There is also the prospect, though, in reality, that they may have given themselves the worst of both worlds. Because firstly, bear in mind that it's going to be seven years before every premises is connected, and that means that it's not going to be the next county councils, but the ones after that, that will possibly be elected by the time that some of these premises are actually getting their broadband. Um, And they might say that... The people of Louth are going to get 30 million's worth of a connection. The people of Meath will get 70 million's worth. But ultimately, now that they've published all these documents yesterday, there is going to be this this discussion out there that maybe the investment in DKIT or maybe the expansion of motorways or maybe new primary care centres, that all of these things could perhaps be on the chopping block uh, to make way for broadband. And although the government says that's not the case, it still hasn't quite been able to communicate or articulate that to the public. So, you know, while they might be giving to themselves with one hand, they could easily find themselves taking with the other. And I wouldn't be at all surprised if uh, on the doorsteps in Dundalk in the next couple of weeks that that becomes a difficult issue for the Fine Gael candidates to try and sell. It may be a difficult issue for some of the candidates uh, from uh, the Dundalk area when they join us for a pre-election debate a little bit later on today. Uh, <laughs> (laughs) But uh, we'll leave it there for the moment. And thank you very much indeed for joining us. Gavin Riley, political correspondent with Virgin Media News and political columnist with the Mead Chronicle. Michael Reed on LMFM. Well, as Gavin Riley was telling us at 5 to 2 yesterday, the government gave the opposition parties 10 million pages of advice suggesting why they shouldn't spend 3 billion euro on the rollout of the national broadband plan and asked if there was any questions. Uh, there was uproar and uh, the doll was adjourned until a quarter to four when it resumed the Fianna Fáil leader Michal Martin was still complaining. This is the documentation, it's the amount of documentation that was sent to us at 5 to 2 today in relation to the national broadband plan. Uh, and I think that illustrates the sharp practice of government in its management and, uh, and handling of this project uh, from the outset and the attempt to spin its way um, out of any serious questions or accountability around the project um, itself. Uh, and none of this was produced yesterday. Very little of the detail in this documentation was revealed yesterday. And it's definitely of the, the case that you were endeavouring uh, to get out of leaders' questions without this, the detail of this documentation being in, in, in the public domain. But the, the wider issue is, um, uh, Minister, 
that if you look at the correspondence um, from the Secretary General of Public Expenditure to the, uh, the government and to the Minister, in terms of the long-term sustainability of the project, I believe that there are unprecedented risks to the exchequer posed by the proposed project. The government has been asked to commit up to three billion of exchequer funding, up to 2.275 billion of which will be required by 2026 in an area where technology is rapidly changing and where we face a number of significant risks to the successful completion of the project. And in addition to that, it says, he says, that against the three billion exchequer investment that is at risk, the private operator is only, only risking X of their own funds. And I note that by 2028, the private operator is projected to have received X, this is redacted, in dividends and interest together with a repayment of X of the initial share capital, while the state will have spent up to 2.44 billion at that stage. In effect, the private operator will have all of their monies paid back while the exchequer could have paid out almost two and a half billion. And all of this before significant connections have been made by the service providers. Michal Martin wanted to know why the state is taking on such risk. What is the upfront contribution of the remaining bidder to this project? And why won't you be fully transparent and give us that figure now? Why is the state taking all of the risk? The Minister for Communications, Richard Bruton, said that the state is taking on all of the advice available to it. And I can, let me say uh, very clearly to Deputy Martin, we did not dismiss uh, the uh, evidence or the information presented by uh, the Department of Public Expenditure and Reform. We evaluated every one of those concerns very carefully and we spent hours of evaluation on each of those. And I, I will take them in, in turn. In respect of costs, we have looked in detail at what were the costs of alternatives. Several alternatives were evaluated and none of them offered the opportunity of delivering these objectives at a lower cost. Indeed, on the contrary, they would have taken more time and greater cost. But Michal Martin continued to ask why the state is taking all of the risk. Why is the Secretary-General going out of his way to say the state is taking all the risk and that the remaining bit is only putting up so much? What is that so much? Minister, to respond. Is there a problem, is there a problem about the financial standing of the company? Okay. Minister, to respond. Is there some issue as to where has the company got the wherewithal to take sufficient risk up front in the early stages of this project? Or why is the state taking almost 90% of it? Minister, Minister the capacity Britain. of the company has been carefully vetted at every stage and will continue to be vetted as we finalise the contracts. And they will have to show the delivery of the equity to which they have, have committed. It has always been clear that you could set up an independent state body and roll out an alternative. But if you read the detail of what the Department of of Public Expenditure Reform were proposing, it is to provide 1,800 premises with with wireless broadband. That is the proposal alternative that they have set out. So this is going back to the approach of not fibre to the premises, but instead just fibre to a limited number of locations. That is not the commitment that either you or I... And let's let's be clear, let's be clear, while while the Department of Public Expenditure and Reform have a huge duty to challenge, and that is their job. Minister Richard Bruton taking some serious questions from Fianna Fáil and from Sinn Féin. Should this proceed, you will give with one hand to rural Ireland and take away with the other. 
But there is actually a worst-case scenario, and the worst-case scenario is that billions of taxpayers' money get poured down a black hole. And we are left with what amounts to a very expensive white elephant and rural Ireland still left without the broadband that they need. Mary Lou MacDonald also wanted to know how much private money will be invested. Notwithstanding the very clear, uh, the very clear advice being given uh, by the department that you are proposing to advance, not knowing or maybe not even caring what stake the private uh, equity investor is proposing to make. So name the figure, Minister. Tell us, it's three billion of taxpayers' money. How much private money is going into this? Well, the Minister didn't say, but he did say that the three billion euro that the state will invest in broadband will result in value for money. We have to put in this support so that this community will be included. And that's why there is a substantial sum, albeit spread over 25 years in order to secure this valuable infrastructure and to deliver to people uh, around rural Ireland. So you're very coy, Minister. I mean, you're not, you're not, uh, you don't have the same reticence in naming the figure for the taxpayer. Three billion rolls off your tongue. You'd, I don't think you've to convince anybody in this chamber or beyond of the need for rural broadband. But Despite the pressure, the minister insisted uh, the plan will minimise the cost to the state. What will happen is that we are employing this company to design, build and operate and the rollout of fibre, which will be placed on rented, rented poles by and large. It will be built on the existing network. And that is designed to minimise the cost to the, to the exchequer. That's the Minister for Communications, Richard Bruton, speaking in uh, the Dáil yesterday. We also heard from uh, the Sinn Féin President, Mary Lou MacDonald, and the leader of uh, the Fianna Fáil Party, Micheál Martin. Michael Reed on LMFM. On the 24th of May, you'll be asked to vote in uh, the local and European elections as well as a referendum on divorce. In uh, the European elections in this constituency's constituency, there's 17 candidates in all to choose from. And between now and polling day, we hope to speak with each of the 17 candidates in the Midlands Northwest constituency, our local area here. Today, we're joined by the Labour Party. Party candidate Dominic Canigan, who has come into us, and you're very welcome, and uh, thanks for morning, joining Michael. us here. Uh, you're no stranger to the studio, it should be said, for people who may not remember, you're a former TD, former senator, uh, and uh, you've been off uh, the political scene, publicly at least, uh, for some time. Why have you decided to try and re-enter politics, and why the European Parliament? Yeah, I was a councillor since 2004, mm. and then a senator and a TD, and after the election in 2016, Michael, I, I went away, I bowed out, uh, started a, a, a a small distillery over in the west in County Mayo, uh, so I should probably de- be dealing more with whiskey boxes than uh, mm. than ballot boxes at the moment. But a few things uh, got me reinterested in politics: uh, Brexit, uh, the election of uh, Donald Trump in the states and the rise of populists in Europe and also here in Ireland. And I thought, you know, I'm not willing to sit back and let these people shape our future. Uh, my background yeah. is engineering. I like to build things. I want to build a progressive Europe. I want to build a, a, a coalition to fight things like 
climate change, to make sure that's proper investment in our towns and in our villages, and also to try to improve people's work conditions. So that's mm. what I'm fighting for, and that's what I'll be asking people to vote on the basis of on May the 24th. All right. In fact, I, I remember quite well speaking to you in 2004 when you were first elected uh, as a, a councillor. Uh, you were an aspiring politician, uh, to say the least, very ambitious. Uh, did you uh, feel uh, that politics let you down or wasn't all you expected uh, cor- across uh, the years after that? I, I learned so much. It was it was great fun. Mm. It was great fun to be involved and to, to try to help people along the way. I, it, it wasn't like a job, Michael. Every day was different. Every day was full of new things. Uh, I learned all the time. So, I, no, I don't feel... I feel privileged mm. rather than let down. I was privileged uh, to serve this area uh, for the guts of 15 years. And I'd be looking forward to trying to do my bit uh, to, to help out uh, in the next five years from a different role, from the role of uh, European Parliament. Nowadays, mm. an awful lot of our future shaped at the European level. We do a lot locally and indeed we've got some great local candidates here. We've got people like Annie Hoy out in Baymore. We've got people like Michelle Hall in Termenfeck and Andrade East and of course you know Paul Bell and you know P.O. Smith they're always in here. So we've got those people locally here in Louth and of course in Meath. We've got Aaron mm-hmm. uh, up in Kells who's doing a great job and, and we they, they're going to focus on local issues but for people like uh, the, the European candidates need to be focused much more at a European level at what we can do on things like climate change. That needs to be tackled not just at European level, but mm. at a global level as well. So there's, there's, it's a matter of working with our local candidates, with our local councillors and our local senators to try to progress uh, action between all of us. And were you not given that chance at one time and did the people not fire you? I was given the chance indeed and like I served uh, as a senator first and then as a TD for, for five years we took over the country at a very difficult time you'll know that unemployment in 2011 when we went into government was 15% the country was on its knees the deficit was over 10% uh, you know in five years we managed to turn that around we got unemployment down to 7% uh, the, the country uh, recovered significantly huge amounts of job creation and of course in things like social areas like the X case legislation marriage equality uh, we brought forward uh, apologies for the Magdalene laundries we brought back the minimum wage did things in collective bargaining so I think we got an awful lot of successes to mm. point to <laughs> there are some things we got wrong I'm yeah. going to put my hands up and say that and, and you know but I think on the whole where we were in 2011 when I was going round the doors people were crying because they'd lost their kids to emigration because they didn't see a future their businesses had mm. gone we all thought it would take 10-15 years for Ireland to recover five years later People were looking forward to the future. They got hope again. And I think that's because we made some really difficult decisions that... Mm. I didn't go into politics to cut things. I didn't go into mm. politics to try to... I wanted, I wanted the politics yeah, but to the, build the, the, schools. The, 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 the question politics remains the same, oh, doesn't it? Because, I, I mean, you were, to, you were making these over. arguments, I, I think, uh, during yeah. the last general election, uh, and people said, no, thanks, Dominic Hannigan, and they decided you uh, uh, and quite decided... Uh, to fired you and quite decidedly so. Uh, but uh, one of your strongest assets, I, I think, as a TD in the last all was uh, European Affairs. You were the chair of the European Affairs Committee. You were well versed with... Brexit and the complications and indeed uh, you would have stood on that as uh, an election campaign footing. So why is it that people should listen to Dominic Hannigan when it comes to Europe? Well you make a very good point there. I was the chair of the European Mm -hmm. Union Affairs Committee uh, for four years and one of the things that we did at a very early stage was look at the impact that Brexit would have on this area. You know the the amount of people who work across the border every day. Are they going to be impacted by a hard border? Uh, I think we need to make sure that any 
deal that's uh, negotiated between uh, ourselves in the European Union uh, and the British, who, who I believe are going to leave, uh, regardless of, of, of the shenanigans at the moment, uh, we need to make sure that that trade deal protects Ireland's interest. Uh, our suppliers, our producers, people who, tra- uh, who go across the border. I was glad to see yesterday that the common travel area, uh, we got an agreement on, on that. But the, the key thing is, I think, that you know, my party in Europe is the second biggest party. We're the party of European socialists. Uh, At the moment, Ireland has no MEPs in that party. So when it comes to shaping future trade deals, we're not at the table uh, of the second biggest party in Europe. So by electing me and my colleagues in in the other European constituencies in Ireland, at least we'd have a voice in the second biggest party Mm. when it comes to working out those trade deals. Because it's vital that Brexit is probably the biggest single thing that's going to happen in the next five years in the Parliament. It's vital that we get that right Mm. for Irish interests. There was a a Labour MEP who became disillusioned with Labour. I, don't, I think you're, yes, Nessa, who's retiring this year. Look, I, I campaigned for Nessa. I've got a lot of time for Nessa. Uh, she sits with the uh, with, with our group mm. in the European Parliament. Mm. She had issues with the leadership at the time. Look, that's going back. You, Michael, you're going back five years now. Mm. I'm look, trying to look forward. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I've, I'm very happy to defend uh, okay. what went on before. I think we got mm. a lot of positives. Mm. But when you go to the doors, very, very few people, if any, bring up the issue of, you know, what happened in the past. They talk about, what are you going to do now? Mm. What are you going to do in relation to climate change? What are you going to do for young people? And that's what I'm focused yeah, on right. trying to uh, well, trying what, to what are you going to do for climate change? Or what are you going to do for young people? Tell us. Well, actually, funnily enough, just yeah. a, co- a couple of weeks ago, we launched our climate change policy uh, in Drogheda, in, just down the road. And we brought in people from RD, young people from RD and from Dun- Dundalk, to talk about what their views are. The four things I want to see in relation to climate change in my policy mm. are, firstly, we want to see a just transition fund. So that businesses out there who might be impacted because we have to move away from this carbon economy, that they will be supported by the European Union to retrain or to re engage their efforts mm. into areas of the economy where they can actually work in. The yeah. second thing is I want to involve young people on an ongoing mm. basis. Okay. We've seen that, you know, they, they are very, very concerned about mm. their future. They think yourself and myself, you know, we're dinosaurs. They think we're going to... And, and the fact do you is, not? You and me are going to be gone in 30, 40, whatever <laughs> do, years. Do you not think you're a dinosaur? You look and, like a dinosaur to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to be... Well, we probably do I must say, Don McCannigan is far younger than me. <laughs> so, so, but, uh, but uh, you know, the fact is it's their future. We have yeah. to hand over to work to them. So yeah. I I, as part of my platform, I will be. But are you going to make petrol, constantly. diesel, coal more expensive? Are you going to introduce I think we need wind to look farms? At how, we, exactly, we need to look at renewable energies. The third thing, wind I, farms. I, the People, third thing I want to do is, mm, and, and this is specific mm. to our policy, is bring in a, a, a bottle deposit scheme. It's uh, something that can be done very easily. Other countries have done it. So basically, the amount of plastic bottles out there at the moment, uh, we would be putting a deposit on that so people bring them back. It's done elsewhere. It's been trialled in London at the moment and other places. I'd like to see that brought in here uh, so that we can encourage more people uh, to bring them. You'll know if you walk along the road, if you cycle along the road, uh, the amount of waste in our ditches. We need to try to reduce that uh, and we can do that by encouraging people to recycle but we can also bring in things like a deposit scheme to do that. Mm. And what about uh, an increase in the price of diesel, petrol, coal, briquettes? That's where the Just Transition Fund comes in. We need to make sure that the people who pay for the changeover to the carbonless economy are more the corporations rather than the individuals. That's what mm. people are concerned with. But we need to move. We cannot sit back and do nothing, Michael. We're at the stage where we've waited too long. Climate change was at the top of the agenda probably 2008, mm. 2009 but with the recession and then with Brexit of course uh, the problem is the airways are, are much more clogged up with those issues mm. we need to make sure that climate change is the number one priority as okay. we move forward uh, And what about people who have old cars? 
But uh, what about, well, like you've got, uh, you, I think, people with old cars. I think mm. what you need to do, Michael, is you need to encourage uh, suppliers mm. to invest more into things like electric cars. And we see that mm. going on. There are government initiatives to, to do that. We can do that at a local level here in Dublin in, mm. the, in, in, in the government, but we need to do it at the European level as well. We need to make sure that suppliers have got research and development grants uh, so that they can develop uh, uh, engines that are more efficient, that are using more uh, carbon neutral uh, fuels in them. Mm. Yeah. Hey, was the Labour Party not part of uh, the problem in uh, delivering wind en- energy? Part of the problem of mm. delivering wind energy? Yeah, well, it was like, not an argument between two ministers, Alex White and Alan Kelly at the time. Do you know, Michael, um, there may very... Mm. I'm sure there are arguments in every party mm. about every policy. And you were torn we're, both ways, when, weren't when, you? When we're, uh, when as we a were, representative you know, for the area. When we were in, when we were in government, uh, we'd, we looked into things like wind energy, uh, like renewable mm. energy, solar power, to try to make sure that yeah. we lived up to the commitments that we entered onto mm. the Paris Agreement. Mm. And I'd be pushing at a European level that this government does exactly that. There are difficult decisions to be made, and of course mm. there will be, but we'll push that. I was out last week out in the Boyne Estuary uh, with some of our candidates out there looking at the impact that that could happen if we see rising t- sea levels. We've got a stark choice here, Michael. We can either sit back and do nothing, or we can make decisions and take decisions. And one thing I'll say to you, and you know this from my record, mm-hmm. I won't shirk away from hard decisions. I won't walk out of the room. I won't sit in my hands. I'll take the hard decisions. Some people out there won't like that. Some people may not vote for me on that basis, but I'll do it in the country's interests. And if I lose my seat in five years' time because I vote for a climate change measure that some people out, uh, out there don't like, so be it. But at least I'll sleep easier. I sleep very well tonight on the basis that I believe we did our bit for the country between 2011 and 2016 when others sat in the sidelines, hurled from the ditch, We did our bit. And the reason why the country is recovered, the reason why so many people are at work right now is because we did what needed to be done in the interests of the country. And I will never shirk from that. All right. And we'll leave it there for the moment. Thank you for coming in to us uh, this morning. That's a Labour Party candidate in uh, the Midlands North West constituency uh, for the European Parliament elections. Dominic Hannigan. Michael Reed on LMFM. As I said, our four candidates today are all hoping to take a seat in Dundalk, Carlingford. Uh, we've Conor Keelan of Fianna Fáil, Roisin Duffy of Fine Gael, Anton Waters of Sinn Féin and Own Daly of uh, the Green Party. Good morning to all of you and thank you for coming in to us today. Perhaps uh, we'd start with uh, the first-time candidates and uh, Roisin Duffy, uh, you're representing Fine Gael. Why have you decided to put yourself forward for election and why Fine Gael? Good morning, Michael. Thank you. Well, I'm a long-time member of Fine Gael, so there was never going to be any any query over who I would be running with. The reason I put myself forward is I've done a lot of community work. I am in business. I have my own tax consultancy practice in Dundalk. I'm a chartered accountant by trade. And what I have found from my dealings with people in business, in community life, is that People want a council where they're providing local services and facilities to all the communities. And what I want to do is I want to be the link between the public and the executive in the council, because that's really the function of your councillor. And Mm. that's what I aim to achieve if I'm elected as a county councillor for Louth County Council. Okay, well, uh, I suppose Owen Daly, the Green Party, uh, has long held uh, a seat in this area. Uh, Mark Daly, or is uh, uh, Jerry, I beg your pardon, is uh, stepping aside. uh, So hopefully you'll be hoping to fill his boots. Yeah, Mm -hmm. massive boots to fill. Why did you decide to put yourself forward? 
Um, uh, just before Christmas, really, Mark approached me and said that he was stepping aside, that they were looking for a candidate. Um, I made the uh, decision myself. Uh, I took a month to think about it. I'm in the middle of doing research work, my PhD in water engineering at the minute. Um, and I've just, through that work, I've felt, seen a lot of frustration at the way things can be done, and I hope to make a difference. Mm by making myself one of the decision makers. And you've been a member of the Green Party. Oh, I've been a member yeah, with yeah. the Green Party. Mm-hmm. I've worked with Mark Deary for many, many years, canvassing and postering, and I've done all of that before with him. And um, mm. It's been good work working with him, and it's strange having to do it now for myself. Mm. Okay, Anton Waters, you're one of those first-time candidates, like uh, many of uh, the Sinn Féin candidates uh, across the country, I think, uh, who's a sitting councillor, because you were co-opted a, a couple of years ago. Yes, I was co-opted on uh, two and a half years ago for Jim Luckern, who was retiring. Um, look, it's a great privilege to represent the North Lydary and the Cody Peninsula. Um, it's good that I had a chance. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. To get some work done, and I think... Um, I have got through some great projects the last two and a half years and hopefully they'll stand to me and look, the next five years I have plans to get even more done so with the experience behind me and going again for the next five years I hope if I'm elected or selected to go again um, I can do even more so mm-hmm. looking forward to it. Okay, and Conor Keelan of uh, Fianna Fáil, uh, you're the only candidate with us uh, today who's stood before and to run successfully and taken a, a seat. Uh, how have you found the last five years and why have you decided to run again? Well, this is my this is my third election that I'm uh, I'm decided to seek a re-election in, and I uh, hope it will be successful going forward. Um, uh, at present, the council is in a state of flux. Um, we have had several uh, retirements and um, uh, and replacements over since 2014, and um, consequent loss of experience as a result. Um, as a result, and I've said this to constituents, I said you need many experienced councillors to step into the breach there because there's going to be several issues going forward, particularly in the, in the realms of planning, um, uh, and um, uh, so that um, uh, 
you need to have people with a lot of experience going forward to deal with those issues and uh, on the council after the last next local election so and equally I can also give to my voters as I did in advance of the last local elections a commitment that um, I do not intend to be seeking any other alternate office and I do intend to be if re-elected mm. to seek out my full mandate of five okay. years Alright well we've uh, asked uh, the Department of Public Expenditure this morning if uh, there's a tangible risk to funding for DKIT, a sum of 18.5 million euro in capital investment for major STEM refurbishment and uh, this would have to do with the upgrade of uh, the north-south blocks. It was announced in September that DKIT would get this STEM investment and uh, that it would see uh, the provision uh, expand available science and engineering laboratory space as well as the creation of an additional 760 places across industry-focused disciplines as well as uh, the enhancement of existing business and humanities facilities. Uh, This uh, is uh, significant news for the town that this money is now at risk uh, as a a decision of uh, the government to ignore the advice of uh, the civil servants. Has anybody any thoughts on that? I think I'll come in there on that, Michael. Well, as the Fine Gael candidate and the accountant, uh, I think... uh, And I'm also an ex-member of the Audit, Finance and Risk Committee of DKIT. Mm. So I'm very familiar with the requirement for the funding that was required for DKIT. The the building Mm -hmm. was required. They need a full refurb of that science Mm. and engineering block. And that was long held and long requested. Mm. And in September, it was announced that they would be doing that work. I don't think there is going to be a risk to that funding. Robert Watt seems to think there is. Well, Robert Watt has one opinion on it. And I think (laughs) if you listened Mm. yesterday to the interview that um, Minister Pascal O'Donoghue gave on RT Radio 1 at lunchtime yesterday, he quite clearly confirmed during that interview that he will not be putting other projects at Mm. risk. He went into detail on the other projects that have have had major spend. Mm. And again, this morning on RT Radio 1, you will have heard Eight billion was spent on the road networks when we connected all the cities in Ireland. They, they're spending three three billion on the Dublin Metro, and the Fine Gael government want to roll out broadband for the people of Ireland. They're committed this, to this, doing this, that. This, this is the Department of Public Expenditure, which oversees public spending. The most senior civil servant in that department, yes, and the Secretary you, General. Is saying he is that saying that the spend that this is a foolish spend. Well, he didn't. I don't think he said the word foolish. But what he did say is that, um, in their opinion, yes. now if you compare that with the opinion that was given from the Department of Communications, that, what they have that said we're spending is, three billion euro, we're getting nothing the, for it. There's great. We're, risk. we're not getting nothing. There's what no, we're getting there's, is there's broadband no, no for every for money. person in and, the country. And, and that the, what we're going and to and have is full broadband for every person in the country. The is that we'll forego 19 primary schools, uh, 2,000 social houses uh, and money like this to uh, DKIT, 18.5 million euro. No, that's not what that's not what's going to happen. Well, that's what the most senior civil servant is saying is the consequence and what, of this And decision. what the minister has countered that, in his, if you've listened to the minister's oh, interviews have, yes. and also to Richard Bruton mm. in the Dáil yesterday, mm. they were quite clear that these that the rollout of broadband is not going to affect 
the other projects. When we're on the doorsteps, mm. I was canvassing in Cooley last week and I was down at the shore mm. at the beach and people were showing me where the broadband infrastructure had ended and they couldn't get they, it wasn't continued because it's not a feasible project for commercial operators. And that's what the state okay, do. Con, con, the Connor, state has to kick bring, in let, and bring we'll services. Let, let, let's bring the alternative was to have 1,800 hubs where we would have broadband brought okay. in. Now, what businessman well, well, wants the, to go to a hub well, to do his well, business? The question, they want to the, do the it in their business the question, place the, and the, the people question, want the broadband. The question is, do you want to pay for broadband for somebody who lives in Germany and spends two weeks of the year living on the edge of a cliff in Connemara uh, because that's essentially uh, what well, we're guaranteeing. Well, the people I'm meeting are well, our voters what, that's what we are and they're the people who Connor are looking Keelan, first. Connor, 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 and at a cost of 18 and a half million to DKIT. Connor I Keelan. Just come back yeah. to, to the point. I would be uh, somewhat concerned in the opinion of Robert Watt and I wouldn't just... Um, ditch it so, so lightly given the fact he's such a uh, highly ranked senior, uh, senior civil servant in the, in the country um, equally um, in light of the course of the interview I certainly will be um, corresponding with uh, Mar- uh, Martin Guire in, in DKIT to get his opinion on the, on the matter as well and indeed any potential threat to the uh, for a growth of DKIT given the, uh, the long uh, linkage, linkage that we have with um, Low County Council would be a significant uh, concern to us all as public representatives, uh, both serving and indeed potential uh, future ones as well. I would have point out in relation to the comment that Roisin made in relation to the motorway network that the vast majority of that was um, was constructed uh, during the, d- the tenure of when uh, my own party was was in government as well. Okay, mm. uh, well, now, some would say uh, your party is in government now and uh, well, is supporting this well, decision. Well, I think Minister and that Julie has said he, he will, they will uh, continue to back. And I, can I just go back to DKIT on one I, point? I, I spent I, well, last Friday morning there no, with no, Heather Humphreys no, 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 rolling just, out a okay. training organising training that they want to do with DKIT. Okay, and we'll come back to you in a moment. And the businesses. Uh, Anton Waters. Yes, Michael. Uh, look, this is the, the second project in recent months that there's serious questions over um, the National Children's Hospital now the broadband. Broadband's a massive issue on the doors. I'm out over the last couple of months. It's a massive issue. I've been dealing with a company in Omeet who is supplying uh, products as far as the United Arab Emirates. They have problems with delays receiving orders because of the um, the broadband mm. that's out there at present. It's not good enough. So it's worth it, is it? So that's well, why we need we, it. We need, we need to do it. But there's serious questions mm. whether this three billion will actually do what needs to be done. And that's the problem we have at the minute. Like, I was talking to a man from Scotland. Well, if it did. What's the alternative? I mean, I'm not, I'm not sure what the questions are about the scale of the investment. Uh, do you not think that three billion is enough? Or? Well, I can't quantify exactly how well, much Well, you raise it as an yeah, issue. I'm saying... Mm. Three billion. There's que- uh, there's questions over whether this is going to be fit to cover what needs to be done at the minute. There's people in the North Loud area who we all hope to represent who haven't got mm. adequate broadband. Well, they might have it in seven years. They may. We're supposed, mm. we're supposed to have. Mm. We've promised that we would have it in the last seven years. And we that's why we're taking uh, action to do it now. Uh, and yeah. you're saying it's worth it, are you, Anton? Well, uh, regardless of the cost. Oh uh, no, no, Regardless no. of you have to whether look. it costs Dundalk eighteen and a half no. million. No, well, they I'm, have I'm evaluated the alternatives of, of DKT. I done building surveying in mm. the engineering block. I know what it's like. I spent four years there. Great times. It's a very good facility, mm. and. 
I think anything that affects funding for DKT is a huge problem. There's also issues which our local TD, Jerry Adams, has been working on, such as primary care centres and stuff like that in school that are, benefit, are at risk here, mm. you know. And like at the end of the day, we want to see investment in our areas. And then now we're looking, there's going to be cuts to services. Okay. That's not good enough. Owen Daly of the Green Party, what are your thoughts on this? So, again, as a STEM student from DKT, I graduated DKT in 2016. I've seen the facilities that we're mm. talking about. I've worked in them. As Anton says, the, it's a great co- it's a great college. Um, it's a really good place to go to. It's We're lucky to have it on our doorstep. And I think the investment, particularly in STEM in this day mm. and age, the work that they do in renewable technology and DKIT is second to none in this country. Nationally, it's, it's brilliant. Um, so as a Green Party member as well, it makes sense for us to be investing heavily in the STEM subjects in DKIT. In terms of the broadband... Does, does it undermine the argument to invest in broadband uh, to redirect money from STEM research to allow people to watch Netflix? Um, it or do their business. In this way, if you phrase it as in such a way as to allow people to do their business, as Roshin says, hmm. I mean, <laughs> the internet's a wide <laughs> subject. I mean, you can't just expect people are going hmm. to only use it to watch television in, in rural Ireland. People no, absolutely not. No, yeah. but it would be for both. But because it's for both, it means that you're redirecting funding for STEM research to allow people to watch Netflix or to go on Facebook. And do business uh, and, and do sell wares. Yes, and yes. I, I mean, I'm not quite sure. Yeah. I, I don't. I don't think really, <laughs> Michael. You can. You can. You can restrict in that in that context. You mm. know, if, if you're, we need we need the investment. I think we can all all agree in that. But attempt. Mm. We need to delve. But that's why you call targeted investment. We, we need to delve deeper in terms of. Yeah. We've got this. But this is not targeted. Th- th- this no, is it is targeted, and we've had. We, and min- the Minister Bruton made mm. it quite clear yesterday in the doll. He said the alternatives had been evaluated mm. by whom. And, by the expert bodies that have reported into the government. By the Department of Public Expenditure. By the Department of Communications has, uh, have the taken risk is too great. What they have said is that they would choose to they would not choose to do it this way. Mm. But sometimes politicians have to make calls for the greater good for the people. Yeah, to take money away from STEM research. They haven't said they're going to take money away from STEM research. That's what the impact would be according to the Secretary General of the Department. The Secretary General listed out a list of different things that may happen. What also hasn't been quantified, and it won't be quantified until the project goes ahead, is the monetary benefits of expanding the network Mm. to all users. This is a real project for rural Ireland, for everybody, Mm. so that everybody can have equal access. Everybody can have equal access to Internet. We're living in an age of Internet. So every they want every person to have equal access to that. In seven years from now. Well, starting, I think they mm. said it's going to start mm. rolling out yeah. from next, well, from God 2020. Do, God knows what the technology will be in seven exactly. years what from now. Exactly, what changes are going to come, and that's important to note. Yeah. Whether this will actually be enough to satisfy the needs in seven years' time, like that's mm. a big, big question to be asked too. Mm. And it, it is a big question to see whether it will be done in seven years. And do we want There's to wait for questions. seven years and do nothing for another seven years? Mm. Well, that's what happened the last seven years. Nothing was done. Exactly. And every every party, I think, has put broad, rural broadband as one of their main items that they want to see rolled out. Mm. So there's a cost for doing these things and we have to get it done. Yeah. The well, people want it. It seems, it's the, it's, it seems it's, as though it's one of the most important Finnegale, things Finnegale we are. is very good at spending other people's money. 
all governments spend other people's money. That's what they do. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's what it takes to mm. run a country. You have that. You collect the tax. And I think what you'll have to note is that the employment in Ireland is at the highest figure ever. Mm. But I t- employment I t- and unemployment is at the lowest that it's been. I think oh, so. I think the oh, employment oh, Daly, do you, do you, when, when you look at, at what's been spent on this mm-hmm. uh, and uh, the National Children's Hospital, of yep. course, which uh, the department uh, made reference to in, in its advice, uh, you'd wonder if Fine Gael is a prudent government or makes a prudent government. Um, I think it's easy to spend other people's money in uh, in political terms. Um, what I would say in terms of this, directly in terms of this project is, Roisin talks about not being able to quantify the impact that broadband will have in rural Ireland. Um, I would say taking money away from the kind of technologies and the work that they're being done in the engineering departments in, in DKIT, in, in producing engineers and producing scientists as they are now, this 18.5 million could go a long way to producing many more and putting many of them into employment. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so we're, we're, we're dealing with a balancing act for sure, but the, the, I mean, how do we quantify that impact? That's going to have a massive impact going forward. Mm. I mean, maybe four years down the line mm. if a first year graduate's going in now. But yeah. Conor Keelan, I, I think uh, Fianna Fáil, I think Roisin is right in saying uh, that uh, they're not going to do anything to oust the government. It seems as though Fianna Fáil will back the government at any cost, we- as much as they make about. Well, as you're aware, we we decided to um, engage in a three-year common supply arrangement. We did, uh, equally as you're aware, um, put it up to other parties to um, to support uh, Neil Martin for Taoiseach. Other parties didn't want to engage in that after the last general election. That was up, that was up to themselves. Mm. Um, some parties didn't want to engage in um, any uh, any any arrangement for um, negotiations at all. Okay, so um, there was no um, to to um, attempt to form any sort of uh, arrangement for uh, an administration after last general election. We formed this um, common supply arrangement um, after 2016. So um, we have at different stages uh, supported, but also amended mm. government, government legislation mm-hmm. that's gone through okay, both so the door and you're China. equally responsible for this. And well. Hold on. In relation to the, the, we are not responsible for issues like the National uh, Children's Hospital. Okay, that's been uh, the issues to do with um, the, well, you have the, the, the finance. Your party has the power to pull the plug on government. Um, well, as it stands at the moment, we have we have renewed um, it for another year, chiefly on to do mm. with the uh, on the Brexit issue. Okay, that's why we we've decided to um, to extend the the, okay. the counts there. But in relation to cost overruns and that, that is the responsibility of the Minister for Health and indeed the um, uh, the the Fine Gael Independent okay. Government. Well, all of you are hoping to be elected in a particularly scenic part of uh, the county, uh, and uh, I suppose uh, the issue that uh, a lot of people will have particularly north of uh, the county will have to do with how uh, there's a, a lot of illegal dumping taking place. So Owen Daly, uh, any thoughts on how to tackle that? Yeah, I think um, well for uh, efficient uh, disposal facilities would be great um, not this idea of I think worldwide we're seeing a problem with the recycling in terms of the standard um, materials being there's an international crisis going on with China uh, refusing to take recyclable materials that are of a certain standard, um, I think we really need to get our heads, heads together and and 
deal with waste facilities in a proper way. That doesn't mean um, that we pay bin companies to take them away. It's, it's, it should be a local authority function, I believe. Um, it's the price, I believe, from talking to people on the doorsteps, it's the price that are putting people off. They hire men with vans and uh, no, mm. don't ask too many questions about where it's going. Um, and we all kind of have to stop and take an individual look at that response. So the if it was cheaper to dispose of our household waste, so there'd be less dumping. Is that your um, Yeah, well, I on think this? one of the mm-hmm. things that we have, if it was cheaper, yeah. I think there would be, yes. But we also have to look at the fact that recyclable materials in particular uh, our waste my day to day job is dealing with the, the, the value in our own mm. waste now I deal with wastewater so I won't go into the messy details you, of it. You, I mean you'll often uh, drive out to the most remote most part of the country that you can think of and mm-hmm. see uh, a fridge freezer dumped uh, which you can bring to the recycling centre for nothing mm-hmm. uh, so it's not often or it's not always the case that yeah. it's no, it's not always the product the isn't recyclable no no, you don't in even that, have to go to the recycling centre. You can yeah. go to a shop and, and as have I say, it, in that case, it's an individual making a choice mm. that that really mm. needs to take a long hard. In my view, it needs to take a long hard look at themselves, particularly mm. for refrigerators and heavy mm. machinery like that. You're talking about chemicals and stuff that you really don't want in the environment. Mm. It's um, it's a very it's a very selfish attitude to have, uh, if I may say, because mm. you're not considering the uh, environment around you. You're not considering the individual individuals you're impacting. When you do these activities, I've seen evidence of people lighting fires mm. to destroy evidence um, up on the mountains in Cooley. Or tyres. Um, uh, how many tyres have you come across, Anton? Too many, Michael. Mm. Too many. Look, you know, I've been very mm. active in this. Um, like, I live in a very rural area, mm. um, especially like when I go visit family the other side of the board. I go through Eden Tubber. I don't know many times I went over to Turf Mountain and seen, mm. I remember meeting a man with a, with a trailer and an old garden shed. And then I met him coming back with no garden shed. That's what's going mm. on. You know, um, but, surely there, but surely there should be value to the rubber that's. Yeah, look, there's lots of things you can see that's been done with tyres. I've seen a thing yeah. recently on the internet where they're looking to fill potholes mm. with tyres. And the, I know Kingspan have done a thing with plastic where they're going to use. I mean, if we thought about it, couldn't we pay people to bring back their old tyres? You know, we're, because we're, there is a value to the uh, produce uh, that makes them up. The yeah. companies that we pay mm. are are being paid on the other side for the recyclable materials that we are Mm. paying them to remove from our households. Mm. Um, And I think that we need to wake up to this reality that that, that this is the truth, is Mm. that there is value in everything we throw away. Um, Just to come back as well, Mm. like as I said, I was on a number of times with you. Um, I think the the big success that I got in my two and a half years is the Legal Cross Border Dumping Project where Mm. Newry Morning Down, Little Wardens will be liaising with Loud County Council, Little Wardens, joint surveillance operations, sharing information, Mm. as in car registrations. You used to have to go to Swansea Mm. in Wales to try and get details on it. Mm. Now there's going to be a more cooperation between the two and hopefully that'll mean it'll stop the likes of Mm. the heavy scale dumping in the rural areas and I think that's something that should be will come into effect in the next couple of months and hopefully we'll reap the rewards or, or police the problem as the case may be but it, instead of putting out the fire can we stop it from starting have you any thoughts on that Roshi? As Owen has said it's down to people's behaviour and more monitoring so people and and Anton has quite, quite rightly mm. many times been we've seen it over the road for me particularly when the, as you go through the Ravensdale Forest several times you see the dumping what we need to do is firstly people who are living close by who are in the area 
they need to be vigilant because it's only when we start like it's all right saying oh we found the tire dump and uh, you know we're doing something about it we never seem to find who does it well sometimes we do I think that's uh, your experience at least Conor Keelan if I remember correctly um, well, look, we, we can all agree that yeah. uh, illegal dumping is a is a chronic yeah. uh, chronic problem across the across the county, flight tipping, etc. And yeah. our litter wardens have been very proactive. Whenever we we as representatives make make the call to them, you know the the point that Anton raises about the the cross border agreement that's very proactive and welcome measure to deal with that. But equally, um, like flight tipping, the likes of white goods, you know, yeah. when there's a there's rice, recycling centres there for them. That that isn't something uh, that should be um, that should go on. Councils such as Galway have introduced uh, a recent uh, system whereby um, uh, tenants there of their local authorities have to demonstrate that they have a uh, that they have an agreement with um, uh, with a, a waste collector uh, to 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 take um, to take their public waste away. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, as part of their housing housing agreement. You mm-hmm. know. So so, so like um, now um, now um, but this was brought in by by councillors over there. You know what I mean? It's like are other councils going to consider something like that? But mm-hmm. it's not. It's not. It's not just like this would have to be rolled out across mm-hmm. uh, across those in the private yeah. rental sector. What, what do you do and, with your well, bins if you don't um, have a contract with uh, yeah, a waste disposal? Ex- exactly. Yeah. You know, okay. you'd have to demonstrate something. And all but right. also those in the, in those in ordinary uh, those who own uh, uh, those in not private rental but also own uh, own their own homes as well. You know okay. What I mean? Listen, I, I've run out of time, but I'm going to ask each of you to wrap up for us uh, by uh, making your pitch uh, to our listeners. Uh, Conor Keelan of Fianna Fáil, uh, perhaps you'd continue on and uh, tell people why they should give you their number one. Well, look, um, uh, just briefly, I'll just. Um, uh, this is my third election, um, and um, uh, I've uh, I've been there been there twice already. Hope to get back again for a third time. I've um, I've represented quite a number of people along the, along the time and helped a number of people along the way. And I hope that I can do the same if I get back into. And um, I'm offering experience to people out there. As I mentioned already, there's a void on the council, and the council is a state of flux, and you okay. need people with experience going forward. Right. So I can provide in that. Uh, in that to assist people along the way. Okay, Roisin Duffy of Fine Gael. Well, I want to thank all the people that I've met over the last 10 weeks. I'm hoping that they will give me a chance to be their representative on Louth County Council. I'm straight talking, hard working, and what I, I'm saying to people is that I will be listening to you and working for you. So I want a chance to get on to Louth County Council to show the people of County Louth, how I can work for Very them. Good. Anton Waters of Sinn Féin. Yeah, look, as I said at the outset, it's been a pleasure to represent the, the people of North Louth for the last uh, two and a half years. I feel I've, I've done a lot of work um, and there's more to do, but I just ask people to look at what I've done, give me your support, and the next five years mm. I'll work tirelessly for you to make North Louth and the Cooley Peninsula the best it can be for us all to live in because at the end of the day that's mm. where we all live every day and we want it to be the best it can. Okay, own daily of the Green Party. Uh, I'd just like to say that um, I laugh for the people of North Louth. Um, a, a practical voice, I'm an engineer by trade, I don't consider myself a politician um, and I'd like to bring that into the council chambers to help in the decision making process particularly many of the f- problems that we face today around planning uh, I think could be 
could do with a more practical viewpoint in an engineer's okay. eye. All right. Well, thank you. thank you to each of you for coming in to us uh, today. Maybe you'd like to give a, a wave uh, to your supporters on our Facebook Live camera with thanks uh, to Conor Keelan of Fianna Fáil, Roisin Duffy of Fine Gael, Anton Waters of Sinn Féin and Owen Daly of the Green Party. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Now let's find out what you've been saying to us. Marie Kearns uh, joins us with some of uh, the calls and text messages that have been coming to us this morning. Good morning to you, Marie. Good morning, Michael, and to everybody listening in. This broadband is really rattling a lot of cages this morning for a variety of reasons. Tom from Dundalk says the problem is that they haven't been able to get anyone to provide the broadband up until now. It's been a disaster. Is that not the case, Michael? So would we get it for any cheaper, he's wondering. Mm. John from County Mead says that for those in rural Ireland depending on this plan they won't really care what is sacrificed Michael because they desperately need it and who can blame them I'm shocked say Siobhan to hear that DKIT funding may be in jeopardy because of this broadband plan and the money it's costing this cannot be allowed to happen third level colleges are already starved of funding mm. So that's a flavour so far of some of them. Okay. In Nat- in Fran says National Broadband, another €3 billion Euro given to a foreign company with nothing coming back. The government parties have already bankrupt our country. What next, says okay, Fran? Well, I think there'll be a lot more on broadband. Uh, it's a, an issue that uh, is set to run for some period of time. I'm sure we'll be hearing lots more on it today as well. Absolutely. Um, Michael from County Meath phoned in. He's a former air employee and he says, so he knows what he's talking about, he says, and Mm -hmm. he says that the government, it's not going to be rolled out until 2026, 2027. But he feels they haven't a hope in hell of delivering on that deadline that once fibre optics go in, the job is immense. Having worked and knowing what I've been talking about, he says he doesn't think they're going to be able to achieve that. All right. Well, I think it's to, uh, the plan, at least, is to start rolling it out from the autumn uh, and that it would be completed uh, in about seven years from now. Well, he doesn't think that's possible. Okay. <laughs> there you mm-hmm. go. Mm-hmm. Uh, another listener, I think Mary Lou is right uh, that you're going to be giving to rural area with one hand and then taking away with the other. Rita mm. says, Michael, not everyone depending on rural broadband lives on the edge of a cliff, as you stated during that discussion. No, 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 no. no. That Absolutely. is ridiculous. Yeah, and I, Rita- not, yeah. <laughs> not, not everybody uh, is uh, depending on it uh, for Netflix or Facebook or whatever either, but uh, they're just uh, some of the things that are included when you when you commit to delivering it to every premises in yes. the country. Hold that thought for a second though uh, because uh, we're going to talk uh, about uh, this massive drug seizure in County Mead yesterday. Stephen Brain, crime editor with uh, the Irish Sun is on the line and it uh, really was a, a big haul. Two and a half million euro worth of, of cannabis as well as two grenades uh, Stephen. What's all that about? Yeah, it's a significant uh, investigation being run by Gardaí from Ballymun Garda Station's Drugs Unit and it's been an ongoing investigation Michael into the activities of a number of criminal gangs in that in that particular area of North Dublin, but they've also been supplying uh, drugs gangs with drugs and like cannabis, uh, cocaine, ecstasy in Meath and also in County Louth. So the, the investigation was launched yesterday and it related to uh, one particular gang from uh, the Ballymun area who Gardy believe had actually rented out a property 
unbeknownst to the, the the property's owner and had rented out this property on the basis that they were they were hoping to, to, to live there and stay there for a while. They, they'd been using this property and so the Guardi received intelligence in relation to the, their criminal enterprise here and, and when they searched it yesterday they recovered the uh, the drugs and also more worryingly the, the two grenades. Mm. Uh, and uh, why grenades? Uh, I mean you quite often hear of criminal gangs being armed uh, but you'd expect uh, the weapons uh, to be more like handguns or that sort of thing rather than grenades. Yeah well this is nothing new. I mean criminal gangs you know when they're involved in a criminal enterprise like this where you do have over two and a half million euros worth of drugs you know that they do have access to firearms and often when they are bringing guns and drugs into the country they also would get a sweetener you know with the criminal gangs they're dealing with for firearms as well but okay. grenades is another form of, of weapon that they can use. I mean there are a number of feuds ongoing in Ballymun and they've been used before even in, in the Crumlin Drimna feud mm. in Dublin in, in from, from 2000 onwards uh, grenades were used they would target their rivals homes and right. the concern here is that it's, they could be used and an innocent person could be caught up in this And this raid in Gormanston not too far from Ballymun but what's the link with Liverpool? Liverpool, it's related to an organised crime gang in England, uh, in Liverpool, who are operating there. Like we, we know before, where you do have major criminal gangs based in Birmingham, based in London, and of course based in Liverpool. So this particular criminal outfit, who were based in Ballymun, do have connections to a Liverpool uh, crime gang, and they have access to drugs, and they have access to the weapons, and it was the gang in, in Liverpool who were supplying this criminal enterprise from North Dublin. Okay, thanks for that. Stephen Breen, crime editor with The Irish Sun. Now let's go back uh, to some more of the calls that have come to us, Marie. A texter and staying with broadband. I live in the country and by the time this broadband gets to my area it will be obsolete. A total waste of taxpayers' money. Good on that Fine Gael uh, candidate, Michael. Mm. Taking no bull from you this morning, says Dermot. Okay. <laughs> and Margaret phoned in and said that has the Minister not said that he will not cut funding to the likes of DKIT more that they will just increase the budget? Mm. Hello, folks, says Les from Navin. All this government's major projects have gone way over budget or were scrapped at the draft stage. I just don't believe they are capable of delivering broadband, which Ireland badly needs, anywhere close to the budget. Okay, well, it's a big budget. It is. Have we time for one more from from Michael? We get it every five years, local elections, all parties trying to make out one is better than the other. And when the counter vote is over, Fine Gael, Fianna Fáil and Labour will, as usual, will form packs between each other in our councils, better known as car park packs. Lepers don't change their spots. And Sinn Féin do form packs too as well. Oh, they're not they're mentioned, yeah, don't right. they? <laughs> OK, well, interesting thoughts okay. and uh, thanks to everybody for sharing them with us. Thanks for that, Marie. And if you'd like to add to what's been said, as always, we'd love to hear from you. Our telephone number is 1850 715958. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Well, Rural Ireland has waited uh, seven years uh, for a bidder to be awarded uh, the contract uh, to roll out uh, the National Broadband Plan and it may be another seven years uh, before they get high-speed internet access. Let's talk uh, about the plans as announced with Seamus Boland, who's uh, the Chief Executive Officer of Irish Rural Link. Good morning to you, Seamus, and thanks for joining us. Uh, You've waited a long time. Is this what you were waiting for? Um, Yes, it is. Uh, We we said back in fact in 2007, Irish Rural Link started the campaign and we we were the first to set time that unless uh, fibre was rolled out to every business, every house in Northern Ireland, uh, you couldn't call what we have, what we might have, as proper internet. Uh, now we have it, at least we have the announcement or we have the contract. 
uh, and we have the commitment to roll out exactly that. Uh, it's the only really techno- real technology that will work that can be guaranteed to work. So we're very delighted about that. Right. Uh, and does it mean that we're going to do this at any cost? Because that really seems to be the argument against what has been announced. Yeah, well, let's just tackle even at any cost. I mean, the, the past announces 2.7 billion uh, over 30 years. And my first question uh, to anybody uh, saying that that's too much, are you telling me Rural Ireland isn't worth that over 30 years? Uh, because if you actually rolled out the cost of electric mm. electrification of Ireland back 60, 70 years ago, it would have also been deemed impossible. The reality is... Uh, but are you telling me that it's worth it to Rural yeah. Ireland to the extent that there won't be a school for your children to go to. Well, you see, this is this is this is the usual um, argument, you know. You know. Well, it's not really the usual argument no, no, because no. you've never got an investment of this yeah. sort previously, and three billion euro is such a significant investment that the Secretary General Robert Watt, uh, the most senior civil servant in the department that oversees public spending, is saying that that's going to be the result. There'll be nineteen yeah, well, primary would, schools would, lost as a result. First of all, I would challenge Mr. Watt if he's going to start blackmailing us all like that. That's what that is. It's pure blackmail. Basically, he's saying, I don't want to give you three billion, by the way, over 30 years. So divide your maths and you get very little. It's very little per year. That's the first thing. But however, because I don't want to give you that, I'm going to threaten you with taking away your schools or your services as well. Mm. Rural Ireland have suffered drastically and dramatically because people in Mr. Watt's position have consistently refused to give the kind of service necessary for a proper economic structure in rural Ireland. That is why the eastern side of the coast, Dublin region, is the only place younger people can get jobs of meaningful quality. That is why we have a migration crisis in Ireland. And Mr. Watt would want to get off that blackmail chain and tell us why uh, because it's so expensive. I mean, that, 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 that's, that's the simple answer to your question. That's why. Why uh, is it necessary for people to sit at home uh, comfortable with their feet up watching Netflix when, yeah. there's, peop- when there's people without homes? 2,000 social houses could exactly. be built. If you, the Irish Royal Links offices is in Moat Business Pass, Moat County Westmead. I don't know if you know mm. Moat. I know it very well, yeah. Yeah, there are six businesses in that business park. Mm. We have, I consistent, every other day, rural, Irish Rolling staff and staff of other businesses have to go home and try or go into Mullingar or go into somewhere bigger to try and get internet. We are killing jobs in rural Ireland. So if you're asking, is it worth it? Well, is it worth it to have the likes of Moat being able to supply jobs to people who live locally? Or do we want them on the train as well? Is it worth it to make sure that the small towns and businesses in rural Ireland are somehow kept afloat in the 21st century, not the 19th century? Is that worth it? Because if it isn't, well then Mr. Watt and those who argue differently need to just say, let's close those towns down and let's try and build some sort of central population in the in the East Coast or the Dublin region mm. and let's forget about it. Because that's what we're talking about. And when it comes to the match, I've gone back to it, mm. 2.7 billion is not 
uh, a mad amount of money uh, spent over 30 years. It is not. When mm. you add up the match and divide by 30 years, you actually get very little investment per year. So the, the country will not be broke because of that small amount given every year to get this infrastructure. It is absolutely essential infrastructure in the same way as electrification is. And that amount of money is not that mm. is not that expensive. But if uh, somebody is living in Germany and they have a holiday home and they decide to take broadband and only 25% of the people who uh, can avail of broadband under this system take up on it, okay. uh, it's, go- it's going to cost €40,000. This is uh, according to the chair of the Public Accounts Committee, Sean Fleming, who's writing about this. In yeah, well, say €40,000 per household. Yeah, it's, it's quite extraordinary the length uh, uh, of mythology that people who do not want Ireland to get proper broadband will go to to try and explain it. Let's be clear. When I don't know my age at all, but I can tell you I'm in my early 60s. Uh, and I remember electricity when it came to Ireland. A lot of people just put one or two plugs in the house and thought that's all they'd ever need. And in fact that life moved on and now uh, they need an awful lot of electricity. The same way with broadband. One of the problems with broadband in rural Ireland, and I'm one of, we're one of the examples, we've tried wireless, we've tried all sorts of G's, technology, all of that kind of stuff. Mm. It's so unreliable that if you're trying to set up a business in the likes of Moat or in the likes of small towns around the country, you cannot be sure that the technology that supplies it at the moment will last. So effectively, you take a long-term strategy and you don't do it. The take-up will happen. It'll, It'll take a couple of years, but that depends on the companies who roll it out. That depends on the strategy of the 2040. Remember, Ireland launched the 2040 plan uh, just a, a couple of years, just a year ago. That 2040 plan will not happen unless broadband happens as, as well, because you will not have businesses setting up in rural towns unless they can rely on the technology. But can you have both? Uh, I mean, this seems to be the argument that uh, the department is putting forward, that you can't have both, uh, and that projects under the 2040 plan, such as uh, expanding the facility at DKIT, will have to go by the wayside, a loss of 18.5 million euro to Dundalk. Again, I, I, I really question uh, the, the logic and, and, and analysis there. Uh, it, it's back to uh, they really are so against it. They're saying, we're going to pull this, we're going to pull that, we're going to pull the other. I would argue strongly, if you, the 2.7 billion divided over 30 is actually very little money being spent every year. And if they are telling me and you that they can't even spend that in rural Ireland, uh, and instead they'll pull other projects as a result. Well, I, my argument is I need to see the analysis. We haven't seen it. And uh, as far as I'm concerned, it's blackmail. They don't want to do it because, unfortunately, the establishment in this country has not served rural Ireland. And that's why rural Ireland is so angry at the moment with them on a whole range of fronts. OK, Seamus, I have to leave there. Thank you very much indeed for joining us this morning. Seamus Boland of Irish Rural Link brings our programme to its conclusion today. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie 
MFM podcasts brought to you with Carrickmore Cross Credit Union, where a student loan can help you finance your further education. Call to Carrickmore Cross Credit Union on Neil Street or at CarrickmoreCrossCU.ie.